God's anointing to be upon this service tonight. We need the touch of God right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Jesus name in Jesus name would you just worship the Lord right now everybody I love you Jesus I praise you Jesus I exalt you Jesus praise God praise God God bless you you may be seated tonight you know it is an amazing thing I think that there is so little that is known about the life of Jesus uh, in that time between his birth and the beginning of his ministry. There are just a few things that the scripture tells us about those years. He began his ministry at the age of 30. And so there's about 30 years where there is very, very little that, that we are actually told that takes place in his life. Uh, we do know that Contrary to what you saw in the nativity scenes at Christmas, the wise men did not show up at the manger. And I've, I've taught on that and shown you that from the Scripture, but rather it was probably about two years after Jesus was born before they actually arrived. And so from the time of his birth, there's about a two-year period. We don't really know what's going on. Uh, evidently, the family was still living in Bethlehem because that's where the wise men found him. He was still in that city, uh, but, but we don't really know what happened in Bethlehem for those two years. And then we know that an angel spoke to Joseph by night and said, Flee into Egypt to take the child there because Herod wants to take his life. And so Joseph uh, took his family and they fled into Egypt and stayed there. Some historians say probably about two years or so. Uh, and, and so again, there's another little stretch of time that we don't really know what's going on. But at the end of that period, however long that it may have been, uh, something again happens. And, and this is what uh, we find, Matthew chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. And when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Uh -huh. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Came to the land of Israel. But when, when he had heard that Achilles... Yeah, that guy, right. Go ahead. <laughs> ...did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned, being of, God warned of God in a dream. He turned aside he turned into aside. the parts of Gilead, uh -huh. and he came and dwelled in the city called Nazareth, that it and, might be fulfilled. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. So, are, are, you, are you staying with me on this timeline? He's born. There's about two years we don't know anything about. The wise men show up. The, the, Joseph and the family flee to Egypt. About another two years that we don't really know what goes on. And then an angel appears and says, go back to Israel. And God warns them, you need to go into Nazareth. And the family settles down in Nazareth. 
now it's it, it only makes sense to me that this is the city where they would end up because according to Luke chapter 2 and verse 4 and you can go home and look it up if you want to but Luke 2 verse 4 tells us that Joseph was from Nazareth this was Joseph's hometown this was where Joseph had been raised and and uh, this was this was the place he was familiar with and so when they fled to Egypt and decided it was time to come back home they it's just natural that they would end up in Nazareth then again we don't read anything by this time the child is maybe 4 years old and then we've got about an 8 year stretch that we don't know what's going on and and you want to know why because Jesus is just living a normal life He's just growing up in Nazareth. There's nothing phenomenal taking place. There is no star. There are no wise men. There are no miracles. He's just growing up. At the age of 12, his family takes a trip to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And on the way home, they realize Jesus is not with them. I can preach a message right there. Because we can get so caught up and the hustle and bustle of life that somehow Jesus gets lost in all that's going on around us. They went back and found Him in the temple teaching the doctors and the students of the law. And they said, don't you know we've been worried? And He said, don't you know that I had to be about my Father's business? And then they take Him back to Nazareth. And there's a period of 18 years that we read absolutely nothing about Jesus. Nothing for another 18 years. He's just in Nazareth. He's growing up. He's going to school. He's learning a trade. He's studying what his father has always known. He's becoming a carpenter. No angelic visits. No word from God. Are you hearing me? He's just growing up. He's getting to know his neighbors. He's attending their bar mitzvahs and, and uh, going to their wedding celebrations and, and just being a good neighbor for 18 years in the city of Nazareth. But at the age of 30, it's time to begin his ministry. Now, now let me just say this. What a blessing. What a blessing it should have been. We talk about the blessing of being Joseph. The man God chose to be a father figure to the Messiah. Man, what a blessing. How he was favored of God. We talk about the blessing of being Mary. The woman chosen out of all the maids of Israel to carry the Christ child in her womb. But I want you to think what a blessing it was for God to choose Nazareth. He directed Joseph by a dream to Nazareth. This is where I want the Messiah to grow up. These are the people I want him to know the best. These are the people I want him to spend his time around. God chose the city of Nazareth. What a blessing! But it turned out to not be a blessing to them. 
And we'll talk about that before I get done tonight. When Jesus reaches the age of 30, which was the age which allowed him to enter into uh, the priesthood and, and, and to begin to serve as a rabbi, uh, he decides that to start his ministry, he, you know, he could have done any number of things to start his ministry, but he doesn't start it in his hometown. In fact, he really doesn't start his ministry. God does. The first thing that happens is that Jesus shows up at the river of Jordan. Where John is out there baptizing folks unto repentance. And there is a proclamation that is made that day. John chapter 1 verses 29 through 34. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The first proclamation comes from the mouth of John the Baptist. This is the Lamb of God. You know what he's saying? This is the Messiah. Listen up, Israel! This is the one we've been looking for! He's here! First proclamation from the lips of John. Read. This is he whom I said, After me cometh a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me, and he, I knew him not. He was before me. He, you know how he, he wasn't born before John, but he existed before John. In fact, he existed before Abraham. And he said as much before Abraham was. I am. I'm telling you, John was preaching a message that day. Israel, you better listen up. This is your Messiah. Now, how did John know that? Verse 32. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. I saw the Spirit coming down on him like a dove. And it abode upon him. And it him. stayed on him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me, that he, but he that sent me to baptize with water... The same said unto me, whom, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remain on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. And I saw that, and bear record that this I is the Son of God. I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Amen. We also know from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 12. Let's read a little bit of that, and then I'm going to stop you, and we'll finish it in just a moment. But start reading in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. All right, so, so we've already heard what John had to say, but I just want you to see this is the same story. But there's a detail that Mark gives that wasn't given in the Gospel of John. Let's read what happens. And straightway coming up out of the water. Straightway coming up out of the water. He saw the heavens open. The heavens were open. And the Spirit, and the Spirit descended. We read that part in John, but let's go on. Verse 11. And there, and there came a voice from heaven, saying, thou art, saying my son, my beloved son, thou art my beloved Son, in, whom I, am in whom I am well pleased. I'm telling you, the second proclamation, the first one came from the lips of John, but the second proclamation came from the Spirit of God Himself. And heaven spoke and said, Yes, this is your Messiah. So he was declared to be Messiah not only by John, but by the Spirit of God. 
And then I want you to see what happened immediately. Verse 12. And immediately the Spirit immediately the him spirit. into the wilderness. Now, now, Jesus was raised in Nazareth. But His ministry is beginning, and it doesn't start in Nazareth. It starts at the Jordan River with a proclamation by John the Baptist and by God Himself. And then His ministry goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, to fast and to pray for 40 days. That's the way it got started. Not in Nazareth. But even after that is over with, when he comes out of the wilderness victorious, and he starts to perform miracles, his first miracle was not in Nazareth. John chapter 2 verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. In where? In Cana of Galilee. This beginning of miracles, this was the first... This is why I said to you that during those first 30 years, there was no miracle. Don't believe all the stories of Jesus making clay birds and clapping His hands and they start to fly. None of that happened. The very first miracle Jesus ever performed is when He was at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, according to the Scripture, and He changed the composition that were in those water pots and they ceased being water and became wine. That was His first miracle and it was not in Nazareth. It was in Cana. About ten miles from His hometown. Just ten miles from His hometown. His first miracle took place. Now, if you'll stay with me for a few moments, I'm going somewhere here tonight. The, the remainder of his first year of ministry is a whirlwind of events and, and miraculous incidents sprinkled throughout. Let me just hit the highlights, alright? Are you you're going to ride with me for a few moments? From Cana of Galilee, he went to Jerusalem. And cleared the temple of the money changers. Now don't you think word about that began to spread? Don't you think everybody was talking about that wild man? Don't you think word got back to Nazareth? That was his hometown. He cleared the temple. Of the money changers. He was visited by Nicodemus at night. Told him, the only way you're going to be saved, you've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. He didn't say accept Christ as your Savior. He said the only way you're getting in, you've got to be born of water. And you've got to be born of the Spirit. In fact, he said, unless a man does that, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. From his visit with Nicodemus, he went on into, uh, he went to Samaria. He had a conversation with a woman at the well that nobody else wanted to talk to, but Jesus wanted to talk to her because he knew she was going to be instrumental in starting a revival in Samaria. The whole city came out to see him and to hear what he had to say. 
He left Samaria and preached all through Galilee, which was the region. You know, to put it in our minds, in American minds, it'd be like the state. It'd be like he's in Kansas. All right, the same state, the same area, the same region that Nazareth was in. He's preaching throughout the region, but he hasn't gone back to Nazareth. He's preaching throughout Galilee. He returns to Cana where he performed his first miracle. And there, there he healed an official son in Capernaum. Sick of the palsy. Jesus healed him. And it was after that healing in Capernaum that Jesus traveled the next ten miles and went back to his hometown. Now all these other events have already taken place by the time he finally goes back home. Well, word has spread. People have heard about what Jesus has done over the last 12 months. They know about what's going on. And this is where our text describes him going into the synagogue and being handed the scroll of Isaiah and finding the place in the scroll that said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel. I've come to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now listen, he said all that with a background. He said all that with a history. He didn't just walk in one day unannounced, but when he stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled, they'd already heard what had been going on. They'd already heard about what had been happening everywhere else. And so let's go back to our text. Luke chapter 4. Let's start with verse 21. And he began to say unto them, This day day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Now, what a response. They wondered at his gracious words. And yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? And so listen to his response. And he said unto them. He said to them. Ye will surely say unto me this proverb. Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum. Now, I'm saying to you, I told you they'd heard. He says to them, you're going to say the things we've heard that you've done elsewhere. So they've heard about it. They've heard the stories. Jesus knew they had heard the stories. And he said, you're going to look at me and say what you've done in Capernaum. Do also here in thy country. Do it here at home. Read. And he said, verily I say unto you, no prophet. He said, of a truth I'm telling you, no prophet is is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. Now, read. When the heavens was shut up three years and six months, uh-huh. when great famine was throughout all the land. Now listen to what he said. There were a lot of widows that were in Israel during that famine. Read. 
but none of them was Elias sent. But the prophet of God didn't go to any widow in Israel. Save unto Sarepta. He went to Sarepta. Zarephath. The city of Sidon. Unto a woman. To a woman. That was a widow. That was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel. There were a lot of lepers. In the time of Elias the prophet. In the time of Elijah. And none of them was cleansed. There, are, are you hearing what he's saying? Syria. There were a whole lot of lepers in Israel. And yet we don't read of Elijah healing any one of those Jewish lepers. But we do read of him healing one leper. And the one leper he cleansed was a Syrian. In other words, do you see that even the great prophet Elijah wasn't performing miracles at home? And so what happened? Verse 28. And all they in the synagogue which heard these things were filled with they were wrath. Filled with wrath. They rose up and thrust him they out of the rose city. Rose up and they thrust him out of the city. And led him under the and bar of the hill. Took him to the brow of the hill. Whereon the city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They wanted to kill him. But he passing through the midst of but them. But somehow he slipped through the midst of them and got away. Now, isn't it amazing? They're wondering at His gracious words. They're amazed, no doubt, by the spirit that they're feeling in that church service that day for the first time in their lives. They've been to church Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. They've sat there and listened to the scroll time after time. Never once felt an ounce of God's presence. But all of a sudden, something comes into that room. It's not like what they're used to. It's not like what they've always seen. It's not like what they've always experienced. And they're faced now with a choice. How are we going to see this man? Are we going to see him as the Messiah? Are we going to see him as the promised one of Israel? Or are we going to see him the way we've always seen We've known him since he was a little boy. We've watched him grow up. We haven't seen any miracles out of him. He's never healed one of us. He's never helped one of us. He grew up right next door to me. And never. my mama got sick one time and he didn't heal her. My grandma died and he didn't do anything about it. I've watched it through the years. I've never seen him perform a miracle. Are you hearing me? They could not see the possibility of what Jesus could do because they were so blinded by what it had always been. This is the way it's always been. Therefore, this is the way it's always it will always be. I'm preaching to us tonight. We gotta get beyond what we've always seen. We gotta get beyond what is familiar to us. We gotta get beyond the way things have always been and get a fresh glimpse of what God can do. I don't want to get ahead of myself. They saw a carpenter who transformed wood into furniture rather than a Messiah who transformed sinners into saints. They chose to accept what they had always seen rather than allowing their eyes of faith 
to start seeing things they had never seen before. You understand that in all the miracles we've talked about, none of them were very far from Nazareth. Probably the, 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 the farthest distance of any of these would have been Jerusalem, which was only about 65 miles. We're talking about from here to Topeka. The farthest away of any of the miracles that Jesus had performed up to this point, only about 60 miles away. And yet, the only thing they could see was what they had witnessed. For some 26 years, nothing's happened yet. I haven't ever seen a miracle yet. I hadn't seen God's power yet. I haven't seen anything phenomenal yet. Therefore, I never will. They were blinded by what they had always seen. How sad that the city of his upbringing would be the city which most harshly rejected him. They just couldn't believe that things would change. They could not see beyond what had always been. Now, Mark records a second visit to Nazareth. But there were a number of things that happened prior to this second visit. In fact, he didn't come back to Nazareth until some two years later. This is now into the third year of his ministry, you know. Uh, historians tell us that it was only about three and a half years that he was in ministry. So we're talking about the last probably six months of his life before he ever goes back to the city of his hometown. And a lot's happened in those two years. A whole lot of things have happened in those two years. He had completed the calling of his twelve. He now had all of the disciples following him. They had been sent out, had healed the sick. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed a man that was paralyzed. He healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, or Bethsaida, and the man who had the withered hand. He he opened the eyes of the blind man. He, He gave the Sermon on the Mount. He outlined many truths about the kingdom of God. He healed the centurion servant who said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just speak the word. And Jesus did, and never even saw the servant, but healed him anyhow. He raised the the son of the widow of Nain while he was in his casket. And do you understand that Nain was only five miles from Nazareth? Five miles. Jesus calmed the stormy sea. After that boat ride, they landed on the shore of Gadara and cast thousands of demons out of that man. Gadara is only about 25 miles from Nazareth. He healed the woman with the issue of blood. In Capernaum, he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Capernaum was 20 miles from Nazareth. 
He healed two more blind men. He healed a man that was mute. And I want you to notice what Matthew said about that miracle. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 33. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, The multitudes never, marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. never seen anything like this in all of Israel. I'm telling you, the multitudes are marveling. The multitudes are amazed at the miracle. He's, miracles he's performed. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And it's after this proclamation that Jesus goes back to his hometown. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. And he went out from thence. Went out from thence. And he came into his, came own, country, to his own country. And his disciples followed him. Uh-huh. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the so synagogue. So here he goes again, back to church. It's church time, and Jesus is not going to miss church. Well, I'd hate to be somewhere besides church at church time. Because I know where Jesus is going to be. All right. So when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man, hath this man these things? From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom? Where, where is he coming up with all this? Is this which is given what unto him? What wisdom is this which is given unto him? That even such mighty words are such by his m- hands. They know about what's been taking place. Such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? But look at the way they see him. They still don't see him as the Messiah. They still don't see him as the Savior. This is just that carpenter we lived next door to for so long. That's all, that's all we've ever known him as. We cannot get beyond that in our mind. This is all we've ever known. It's all we'll ever know. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? They can call all of his siblings by name. They know the whole family. They've had dinners together. They've played games together. They've cried together, laughed together. Gone on trips together. They've known each other. They're so familiar with him. And yet they don't really know him. Because all they know is what they've always seen. And they cannot see beyond what they have always witnessed. I'm preaching to somebody in this house tonight. you got to get your sights beyond the way things have always been. They don't have to remain the way they've always been. I'm telling you the Messiah is in the house tonight. The healer is in the house tonight. The miracle worker is in the house tonight. Now, now look, they they were astonished at his teaching. Read, read verse 2 again. 
And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogues. And many hearing him were astonished. They were astonished. I would say they were astonished. I mean, this guy's doing some phenomenal teaching right now. Wow. Read. From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is... Where is he coming up with all this? How, how is he putting all that he's... Read. And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? Yeah, yeah. That even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. How, what? what we, 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 can't, we, we can't figure all this out. Is not this the carpenter? V- verse 3 says... I, I can't figure out how he could know all this. This something just doesn't add up. This is just the carpenter. I mean, we, we've got chairs in our house that he built. Well, I mean, that's probably true, don't you think? I mean, up until he's 30, he's making a living. I don't believe he was lazy. I believe he was working hard for those first 30 years. I mean, they're sleeping on the beds that he made. They're eating at the tables that he made. You know, Nazareth wasn't a big city. There probably weren't a whole lot of carpenters in that city. There probably wasn't a whole lot of competition. So probably just about everybody in that city had something he'd made with his own hands. And that's the only way they could see him. He wasn't. A, they heard him teach. And my, what a phenomenal teacher. But he was not a teacher. He was just the carpenter. Because that's all we've ever known. That's the way it's always been in my life. I mean, he's, he's, never, he's never healed any of my sicknesses. He hadn't raised any of my dead loved ones. That cousin of mine that's a leper, he, he didn't cure him. I mean, all he's ever done is build tables and chairs. And this is the carpenter. I, I can't figure out how he can be such a good teacher, but he's the carpenter. Can't, I can't see beyond what I've always seen. And notice, notice the sad footnote, verses 5 and 6. And he could there do mighty works. And he could there do no mighty, no mighty work. Save that he, save that he laid his hands upon, upon a, a few sick folk. folk. And healed them. And he marveled because of and their unbelief. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He went round went about, round the, about village's the village's teaching. teaching. Now, listen, Jesus, they had been marveling at his teaching, but Jesus was doing some marveling of his own. You've heard all the stories. You've seen what I've done from Nain, which is only five miles away, to Jerusalem, which is 65 miles away. You've heard what I did in the middle of the sea. You've heard every story. You know everything that's taken place. You know it all, but you can't see anything besides the way it's always been. And he marveled at their unbelief. And he could do there no mighty work except just healing a couple of people. And that's a, what could he have done? What could Nazareth have seen? What could Nazareth have been? That was his hometown. That's the city God chose. What could they have become? 
if they ever could have seen beyond what they had always seen. So I'm preaching tonight. Jesus once asked His followers a question that I think each of us ought to ask ourselves. Mark 18, I'm sorry, Mark 8, verse 18. Having eyes, see ye not, and having Having eyes? You've got eyes. But I'm telling you, there's something that needs to be seen beyond what your eyes have seen already. Yeah, you can focus. You can get your pupils to dilate and, and, and get your, your retinas to work and, and, and you can create vision out of your eyes. Yeah, you can see physically. But I'm telling you, there's something else you haven't seen yet. you got to learn to see beyond what your eyes are seeing. There is another view that you haven't caught sight of yet. There's another vision you've never caught just yet. Listen, listen. Each of us have got to reach a place that we quit seeing things in light of what we've always seen and we start seeing what can be by the power of God. It doesn't matter the way it's always been. It doesn't matter what your life has always been like. It doesn't matter about the absence of miracles up until this moment. I'm telling you, it can change if you can see beyond what you've always seen. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 now faith, now faith is the substance of the things we've been hoping for. And it is the evidence. Things not seen. I don't see it, but yet I do see it. I can't see it, but yet I can see it. I can't lay my eyes on it, but yet I can see it through faith. I know it's there. I know my miracles there. I know my transformations there. I know the salvation of my loved one is there. I can't see it, but I can see it. Come on. Do I have to remind you what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7? For we walk by faith. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. Not by sight. I'm preaching a new life Pentecostal church. When are we going to quit looking at the absence of miracles? When are we going to quit looking at the way things have been up until now and suddenly start seeing beyond what our eyes can see? When are we going to get a glimpse of what faith is trying to show us? Come on, let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Too many, too many apostolics are walking by sight rather than faith. We're discouraged because of what we see. We're depressed because of what we see. We're down and out because of what we see. Oh, hallelujah. 
But we walk by. We walk by. We walk by. Come on, saints. We walk by faith and not by sight. See, the people of Nazareth had the opportunity to see Jesus in a way they had never seen Him before. But it would require them to forget about seeing Him the way they had always seen Him in the past. It would require them to step out in faith. And to embrace a new vision. And so tonight I challenge us. Have we framed our relationship? Have we determined our expectations upon the experiences that we have always seen? Well, I've been living for God X number of years. And I've never seen it happen. I've witnessed to people in the past and didn't see them come to church. I've been prayed for for my healing before and it didn't happen. Yeah, you're looking at everything based on what you've always seen. But I'm challenging you tonight to get a new vision. I'm challenging you tonight to look beyond what you've always seen. And look beyond the way it's always been. And say, God, there's something else I haven't been seeing because I've been looking at the wrong things. Hallelujah. Are we comfortable with what He's asked of us in the past? But we're unwilling to allow Him to ask more of us in the present for our future. Are we going to limit our faith to the shorelines of yesterday? Or are we willing to have an overflow of faith in our lives to start seeing brighter things tomorrow? And the next day, and the next week, and the next month, and throughout this year. I'm telling you, 2010 doesn't have to be like any year we've ever experienced before. Hear me as I preach to you, new life. It doesn't have to be the way it's always been. Are we comfortable with a Jesus? That performs miracles for others. With a Jesus that saves multitudes in foreign countries. But does very little for us. Are we satisfied with that vision of what's always been? Or is there something on the inside of us that's crying out tonight? No, no, no. No, no. I'm not satisfied with just knowing Him as the carpenter that's fixed a few broken chairs in my life. But I know there's one that can even raise the dead. I know there's one that can do anything that I ask Him to do. He's only limited by my ability to see it in faith. In order to have that kind of relationship, we're going to have to lay aside the limitations of what we've always seen and embrace a greater faith for God to do greater things. Church, are we, are we content to just have acceptable church? 
Are we content to even just have good church? Or is there something in us that says it can get better? God can pour out His glory on this house like we've never seen it before. I don't have to witness it with my eyes. My heart sees it. My faith sees it. I'm looking at a lot of empty seats tonight with my natural eyes, but my heart says, no, no, no. It's going to be better than that. Something else is going to happen. Faith says, I see things that are not there, but they're going to be there. Church, let us not frame our relationship with God based in the context of the way things have always been. But let us tonight embrace something new and say, God, take us deeper. Take us farther. Show us more. Let us see things we've only imagined in the past. Let it go beyond even our imaginations. I know how great you are. I know how powerful you are. I know you can do anything if I can just believe it. Hallelujah, Sister Regan, come. There are those here. There are those here who have their worn out excuses as to why you can't be used of God. But I'm telling you, that's not the way of faith. That's not the way of faith. There's some here that God would love to use you in realms of the Spirit you've never experienced. Gifts, signs, and wonders. God would love to use you. But the reason He's not, you can't see it. All you can see is what's been up till now. But God sent a preacher along tonight to tell you look beyond what you've always seen look beyond the way it's always been and start seeing things from God's perspective there are people sitting in this service tonight that are wondering if God even knows where you are and I'm telling you it's time to turn loose of that concept You've got to understand God loves you. You need to start walking with an assurance that He not only knows where you are, He's ordering your steps. There are people here tonight who are bound by the concept, I cannot win a soul. I've tried and failed. I can't teach a Bible study. I've tried and failed. I can't invite people to church. I've tried and failed. Yeah. Yeah. You're limited by what you've always seen. 
But I'm telling you, God wants to take you to a new dimension. And God wants to show you He can use you. God can turn everything around. God's not bound by what's always been. Well, hallelujah. It's time for you to get rid of that mindset that says, even, even under the best of circumstances, I can't do it. And you need to get the mindset of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ Christ which strengtheneth me. It's not going to be me that's doing it, but Christ is going to do it through me. I'm making myself available. I'm presenting myself to Him. I'm going to change, not by my own power, but by the power of God. I see something new. I see a brighter future. I see something glorious on the horizon. It's going to be different. Let's stand tonight. And can I say to you tonight, my friend, as she, she plays softly, let me say to you tonight, my friend, the reason some people never experience the gift of the Holy Ghost is because they are bound by what they've always known. Well, I've been a XYZ religion all my life. I've never had the Holy Ghost. I've never spoken in tongues. I, 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 I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I, that's all I've ever known. And you're bound by what you've always seen. That's why there are some folks that even when you show it in the Bible, they just can't grasp it. Because they're so limited by what they've always seen. Just like Nazareth. I remember being asked to preach one time. It was Alpha and Omega. I was asked to preach a community Thanksgiving service where all the, it was a small town I was living in at the time and all the churches got together and had one big service for all the churches every denomination all got together it was a, a vast array from us as apostolics to the Baptists the Methodists and even the Church of Christ who didn't believe in music at all in the service but they all got together for one big service And the people in charge came to me and said, you know, in all the years we've been having this, we've never had the Pentecostals do the service. So we'd really like for you to do the service. I said, sure. You don't have to ask twice. I preached that night about the ten lepers, you know, a good Thanksgiving passage. No, it really was. I mean, because the one came back and gave thanks. It was it was a Thanksgiving message. But I preached how the one who gave thanks was made whole, while the other nine were just healed. 
I preached how being made whole means to have everything restored. Have all the essential parts. Nine of them got a healing, but one was made whole. And that he went to a different dimension than the other nine. And I preached that night about the difference between being healed and whole. And I said, there's a lot of folks in this congregation tonight. You've been healed. You've accepted Christ. You've believed on the Lord. But there's more more for you. Don't stop with what you've got. And I begin to take them through Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 10. Acts 19. Oh, we're just going through the book of Acts that night. And I was showing scripture after scripture where they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name. And I showed scripture after scripture where they received the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. And boy, down towards the end of that list of scriptures, I looked up. And I won't tell you which church he went to, but he had been chosen to be the song leader for that night. And he was sitting by his wife and she had her Bible open. And she was following every scripture. And she was looking at me with these wide eyes. And you could just see the hunger in her heart. And she was catching everything I was saying. And man, she was, when I would call out another scripture, she was turning there. She'd never heard this. And she was looking up. And I saw him look over and realize what was going on. And he reached over and shut her Bible. You know what his problem was? He was bound by what he'd always seen. He didn't want to see anything else. Don't be like that, my friend. If you're here tonight without the power of the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, your life doesn't have to stay the way it's always been. Several years ago, a young man sat in my office and he said, Preacher, I don't really understand what goes on in this church. He'd only been here once or twice. He said, I don't understand what's going on in this church. But this much I know. I have gone to church all my life. I've tried everything they've told me and yet I'm still bound. There are things in my life I cannot get free from. I looked at him and said, You know what you need? You need the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will set you free. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about a church. I'm talking about the power of God. Thank God he wasn't bad. Now, up until that point, all he knew is what he'd always seen. But thank God he got a glimmer of something else. He said, there's something on the other side of this wall. There's something on the other side of what I've always known. And I want it. He came to church that night and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He laid down all of his addictions. He gave every one of them up. I'm telling you tonight, look beyond the way it's always been. Somebody said, my my spouse will never accept it. Yeah, that's what my mom thought too. I've told my story before. I won't tell the whole thing here. But I will tell you this. When I came in and got the Holy Ghost at the age of 12, neither one of my parents went to church. My dad despised Pentecost. 
He made fun of it. He had already cussed one Pentecostal preacher out. He didn't want anything to do with it. He told me he didn't want me to go, but he wouldn't stop me from going. If I really wanted to go, he'd let me go. But he said, I want you to understand I don't want you there. I said, well, Dad, if you're, if you're not going to tell me I can't, I'm going to keep going. And I did. My mom was pretty open. My mom had already seen God perform a miracle on her mother, who was way up into her 70s. Her heart had become enlarged, and she was at the point of death. And our little church began to pray. And God healed my grandma's heart. And my grandma came out of that hospital. My mother came to church the the next night and stood up and testified, said, I'm not a member of this church, but I want you people to know it was your prayers that saved my mama. I know it was your prayers. My mom was hungry. My mom wanted to know more about it. My dad said no. My mother was convinced that my dad would never accept it. Until that night. When I talked mom and dad into coming to church with me. And in fact, I had a wonderful time just over the holidays sitting down with my mom and dad and getting my dad and mom to tell that story. I know the story. I just like to hear it from their lips too and from their side of the story. And my mom related to me once again how that night I had asked them to go and they both agreed. But before they left, she slipped off into the bedroom and knelt down beside the bed and said, God, if there is anything to this that my son has, I want to know tonight. We got into the service that night. It was hard pews. No padding. No cushion on the pews. Just solid wood. My dad had a bad back. He'd retired early because his back had gone out on him. He was sitting there. He began to squirm. His back began to hurt. He said, I can't sit here any longer. He finally turned to my mom and said, we've got to leave. I can't take another minute of this. My mom knew what she'd prayed and she wasn't ready to give up. It just so happened. If you were in the lesson this morning, you know I don't believe in coincidences. It wasn't coincidence, it was providence. Just so happened that Brother B.J. Stovall, a young preacher, was sitting right in front of my dad that night. Now, now my dad is built like me. My dad's about my height. He, yeah, when you've seen me, you've... So anyhow, but Brother Stovall is, was six, I don't know, probably six three, six four, big man. Had hands on him, under 15 and a half triple A shoe. He was a big man. And my mom leaned up to Brother Stovall and said, Sir, would you all mind praying for my husband? He's hurting. I'm going to tell you something. Asking an apostolic preacher to pray for a sinner is like saying sick him to a dog. Brother Stovall didn't even give my dad a chance to say yay or nay. He turned around, grabbed him with that big old hand that just wrapped around my dad's hand, pulled him up out of that pew, led him right down to the front. We Pentecostals believe in just doing what the Bible says. The Bible said, "Is any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and pray over them in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. So, Brother Stovall led him down to the front. The pastor got the bottle of oil, anointed my dad with oil. I'm telling you, the power of God knocked my dad in the floor, and my dad started speaking in tongues as the Holy Ghost came upon him. It wasn't fake. It wasn't learned. Nobody told him to do it. It was as the Spirit gave him the utterance. 
My mama saw what happened to my dad. She said, if that man can get it, it's real. This is what I've been looking for. And God saved my mama. And God saved my grandma. And God saved both my brothers. And God saved my cousin. And God saved my aunt. I'm telling you, don't say God can't change your family. Don't say God can't step in. Don't be blinded by what you've always seen. Get a new vision tonight. Get your glimpse of something better that God has on the horizon for you. These altars are open tonight. If you're here and you want to catch a new vision, you want to see beyond what you've always seen. I invite you to come and pray. Let's come and find a place to pray tonight. Let's find a place to pray. Hallelujah. I don't want to be blinded by what has always been.